This is Laura from the Peaceful Life Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 95, Night of the Living Dead Movie Review. Chris McBrien, along with caveman Derek Myers. You're going to find him on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. You'll find me at C McBrien, or you can find us at popcloseyourworld.com for all of our contact information. Derek, caveman, my friend, what's new in the world of pop for you? Hey, Chris. Uh, not a whole lot new. We've got the Academy Awards coming up uh, in just a couple of days, and you and I have a uh, personal wager on who we think will get the most picks correct. Yes, we have we have a, we have a side side bet yeah. on our Oscar pool. That's correct. Yeah, and when we compared lists just today, once we had both submitted our picks, it turns out we both we have 19 out of 24 of the exact same responses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's those five that we have different that'll make or break our picks. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if either of us scores a perfect sheet and uh, how many we get correct. But uh, aside from that, going way, way back, I had an opportunity earlier this week to uh, rewatch one of my favorites, the classic movie, 12 Angry Men. Oh, nice. Love it. It was on the Turner movie, Turner Classic Movies channel. I just happened to be flicking through after work one night, and I was like, oh, my God. I, I literally caught it as it was coming on. I had to watch it. The movie, if you've never seen it, is so good. It, it is one of my all-time favorites, and I could watch it over and over again, and I have. I've watched it a bunch of times. I watched it again this week. It, it just really, really reminds you of what a great movie can be after seeing some real bummers over the last few months. So a question for you. If you went back and watched it, uh, Martin Balsam. Okay, that's in it. That's one of the main jurors in it. Do you did you recognize him from uh, Saint Elmo's Fire that we watched recently? I did not. Yes. Yeah, so Martin Balsam was in Saint Elmo's Fire. Remember, remember the kind of the nerdy girl Wendy in, yes. in Saint Elmo. She played, uh, or sorry, he played her dad. Remember that would give her money and wanted her to start her oh, own yeah. card business. Okay, I do remember the part. I I didn't put two and two together. I mean, with this movie, it's got such a. A big cast. It's got oh, such yeah. a great cast. Jack Klugman really, is in it too. Yeah, Henry Fond is is the star. It's yeah. his movie, yeah. and so you're, he's just so riveting when he's on screen. And uh, you know, again, it's you're in this jury room with these twelve men for the entire movie, and he's not saying that he thinks the guy is innocent. He just keeps saying, "I want to talk about it. I don't want to sentence an eighteen year old kid to death without actually talking about the details of this case." And it's interesting how just through the, the course of dialogue, they can poke holes in what has been presented as absolute facts and the other jurors start to come around. And it's it's such a great movie. If anyone is listening who has not seen it, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. 12 Angry Men. I mean, it's an oldie goldie. It's in black and white. It's from uh, 1957. Uh, they actually did a remake of this with Jack Lemmon in the main role and it has a, a more updated cast. It's still all men, but there are a number of uh, visible minorities, like a number of black uh, actors playing some of the big parts. It is every bit as good as the original. I mean, the original is so good, but this is one of those cases where the remake is 
in my opinion, just as good as the original. So if you can find the original, great. But if you can find the Jack Lemmon version from, I want to say it's 97, if I had to guess, uh, just as good. Nice. Yeah. What's going no. on with you? World pop culture. Uh, for pop culture, for me, I've been sharing the story the last couple of episodes about my son uh, doing his speech on where all of his classmates are doing their speeches on things like Fortnite, you know, and Minecraft and all the things that, you know, kids like these days. And of course, my son does his speech on the band Queen, you know, because he's my kid. So he does this whole speech. So two things. Uh, number one, uh, in regard to the speech, uh, he was selected uh, to go in front of the whole school and do his speech along with he's in grade four. So he's doing his speech with like grade eights and grade seven. So I'll be like, you know, geez, you know, these these kids are way more, you know, polished, you know, than he is. They're so much older. Right. But he did it. And I, I took the day off work and I went into and went into the school and watched him. And it was great. And uh, we found out today that he actually finished second Wow. <laughs> so I'm so proud of him. Like yeah. beating out grade eights and stuff like that to finish second. Just so cool. So obviously I'm just over the moon. And then the other cool thing was his class. So when I walk I walk in to, to go to the school to, to watch his, his speech, and then they have this display there of their artwork that his class has put up. It's this whole wall. And what they did was they asked all the kids in the class to create a mask. And it could be any mask of anything that they want. So of course there's like, you know, Batman, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, yeah. all yeah. the usual suspects, right? Heroes who wear masks. Yeah, of course. And of course, my son did his mask of Freddie Mercury. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a mustache and it's got these huge teeth. <laughs> you just but you know, it. you know, oh. it comes from a place of love. He's not doing it to be mean. No, or no, fight, not at all. It, yeah, so. he wanted because he just he just thinks Freddie Mercury is the greatest, right? So he made his mask, of, and he just looks so funny. It's got the little nameplate beside it. You know, it's got his name, Trent McBrien, Freddie Mercury. <laughs> like it's just so funny. It just so I took a picture of it and I put it up on social media. I'll have to share it on Twitter as well. It's just nice. hilarious. But uh, on that note, hey, let's get to our movie. I'm wearing a t-shirt that's Smokey and the Bandit. And let me give you an example. And as far as I'm concerned, they should have stopped making Star Wars movies in 1983. Was it the holiday wrap? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you've obviously not been paying attention because it's... <laughs> Wasn't like the, the Black Negro League? Or... <laughs> it was not the Black Negro League. Uh, whatever the f*** you want to say, go ahead and say oh. it. <laughs> Here's a group that'll see us. We're going to lose about 75% of our audience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so I nominated the film this week. I went all the way back in time to 1968. As you know, I'm like a big horror movie fan. I know you're not a huge horror movie fan, but for me, horror movies, and we're going to get into this in a bit, horror movies are just, they're a very interesting genre of film because they, they allow you, when they're done right, there's a lot, I think the reason that people don't like horror movies is because there's so many that are just done so poorly and campy and crappy and slasher films and all that crap. But the really good horror films um, are just that. They're just films. They're just, um, they, they can use the medium very, very well. And this is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. So I felt that, that I wanted you to watch it. You'd never seen it. And I thought we would come back and kind of pick it apart and talk a little bit about it. So I will turn it over to you. First time ever seeing uh, Night of the Living Dead. What do you think? I didn't love it. Okay, that's fair. But I did. But I didn't hate it. So you had asked me to watch it through the lens 
of a film student or as a, as a, yes. a lo- person who loves movies, loves film. We, we did a whole podcast film. on the difference yeah. between a movie and a film. Yeah. And, and you said, you know, as, as watch it from a more critical perspective. Yes. Don't necessarily watch it as like a pop culture style zombie movie. Watch right. it as a piece of cinematic history. That's what so, I want you to do. Yeah. So, okay. So I'll, I'll be fair then. And I'll, I'll, at, at first let's talk about it through that perspective. Please. So, I am a pretty big fan of the quote-unquote zombie genre. I like zombie books. I like zombie comics. I like zombie television shows. I like zombie movies. Now, my wife loves them to the 10th degree. I'm more of like the first or second degree. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan, but not like to the point where everything and everything and anything that has a zombie in it, I have to watch. That That's my wife. But for me, I, I watch the big ones. I've read a bunch of the books. I, I read the Walking Dead comic books. Um, so... I'm well-versed in what would now be considered current popular culture zombie lore. So knowing that this movie – well, I mean knowing once I looked it up – that this movie was the originator yep. of the zombie genre and that all of the things today that you take for granted as just this is the way a zombie movie works. This is the way the zombie as a movie monster works – these are the tropes that need to be consistently followed throughout your zombie story, no matter what else you're, you're actually talking about. Realizing that those all originated in some way from this first production made me appreciate it considerably. The idea that uh, you know the zombies tend to be slow and, and they shuffle when they move. The fact that they consume fle- the flesh of their victims. The fact that the real the only way to kill one permanently is to hit it in the head or shoot it in the head. The fact that they they tend to fear fire. Like all of these things are are present in Night of the Living Dead and are all things that are now just considered standard lore for zombies. You want to make a zombie movie? You got to follow these rules. And when you don't, the movie tends to be a little wonky there was one of the remakes or one of the sequels to this where the zombies were like super fast and the movie was terrible yeah they they remade it in like 2000 and yeah something yeah it was canadian production because i remember it had a lot of canadian actors in it it was like day Um, of the dead it was a remake of day of the dead which was was one of the of the deads yes for sure and they were fast Uh, you're right yeah and it just didn't work so so realizing that really made me appreciate the movie a little bit more um the acting is not great but it was a low budget independent movie and you sort of you know you got to accept that i've seen a lot of indie movies in my time and some of them are terrible or or some of them are good but the performances are terrible because you have a director or a, a screenwriter or someone who wants to like tell this story and the only people they can afford to put in the movie are their friends or uh, they cast their girlfriend in the lead role or they cast their brother as the lead actor. Uh, a lot of nepotism going on. So you just come to accept that if this is a first time movie makers, for, you know, first production, first film, first whatever, watch it from the point of view of what are they trying to say? What kind of a story are they telling? What's the point? And when you think of it that way, I can I can forgive bad acting. And I can forgive shoddy special effects. Although, considering his shoestring budget, some of the special effects were actually pretty good. Yes, they were. Yeah. Um, the uh, It is definitely a movie of its time in some ways. Uh, it came out in 68. Mm-hmm. And the music was terrible. The score. <laughs> it is so much of its time. And yeah. I did a little reading on it after. And apparently, this is just the way 
this the, the typical horror movies were were made at this time you have these sort of psychedelic sounds that are used it the music is very loud it is very consistent for long stretches of the movie and at the beginning there's this very long uh, intro where there's very little dialogue uh, even when they first get to the house, there's only the two characters and they're not really talking to each other. And it's just, you got to watch them boarding up the house and fighting the zombie. And it's like, this music is just blaring, blaring. And it's like, it doesn't add any value to the movie. It's so annoying. So that, I mean, from that point, I'm 15 minutes in thinking I'm going to hate this movie, but the music stopped. The music got quieter. The, the story started to progress. You started to understand what was going on here. And, uh, I quickly was able to just dismiss the score as like background noise and it didn't bother me as much. Um, let me think what else here. Jump in here, Chris. Give me a chance to collect my thoughts. Okay. So one of the things that I've always kind of rooted horror films in is the, the times, right? Like I always felt that the best horror films are those that represent the times in which they're released. So a lot of times films will capture sort of some aspect of society that kind of causes people fear. Like if you think of all those, those disaster movies that came out around the time of Y2K or better yet, Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1956, perfect example, right in the middle of McCarthyism. Right. Yeah. So where communists are infiltrating the USA, they could be your neighbors, they could be your friends, they look just like you, you don't know who to trust. And that's exactly what Invasion of the Body Snatchers plays up thematically. Right. So that's right. a perfect example. So if you think about the times that this movie, The Night of the Living Dead, came out, you have to remember this is a time of a lot of upheaval. Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated earlier that year. And just after this movie came out, Nixon was elected to his first term. The 60s were a time of massive unrest, obviously, between generations, because you got the young hippies are trying to take over the world, right? And the older generation was fearful of the younger generation. The younger generation was fearful of the older generation. There were massive protests against the Vietnam War. You know, there was there were riot, riots and violence right across the country. The baby boomers were coming of age. You know, it was a turbulent time, to say the least. And then you've got films around this time, like... Like as as a film buff, you know you're gonna appreciate this. Like if you remember uh, Jean Luc Godard's Weekend or Barry Shear's Wild in the Streets, they they play off and basically parody right wing paranoia. Okay, and so smaller budget art films are usually incredibly influential on culture. And if you think about all that I talked about, smack dab in the middle of everything, this little movie comes out about dead bodies rising from the grave and trying to take over, and it just hit a nerve with audiences. And I think it's important to understand the times in which the film came out, because otherwise you just look at this film through the lens of today, you know, and you compare it to special effects and production values of something like The Walking Dead. And it's easy to dismiss this movie as just this grainy little low budget B movie. And, I, and if you see it that way, I think you totally missed the boat on this film. So that's my overall take on this movie to start with. Okay. All right. So, um, let me talk – so you were talking about watching it with today's lens. And I know that we, we've looked at things like comedies and commented numerous times about how comedies from the 70s and 80s don't hold up from today's standard when it comes to certain aspects of them, especially when it comes to um, uh, race, gender, ethnic slurs, things that were deemed ha-ha funny in the 80s. Which shouldn't have been, but at the time it was what it was, and now you look back at it and you sort of cringe at half of the I – mean, whenever some of this stuff happens. Uh, 
I, I obviously that was a little bit present here in Night of Living Dead, not as much, but the the female characters in this, in my mind, really reminded me of the time in which the movie was created. You had a married couple where the husband was clearly a jerk and he was, you know, flat out wrong and he had just had the, you know, terrible ideas and he kept like telling the wife, do this, do that. And I kept thinking to myself, well, if this movie was made today, the wife would stand up in two seconds and say, shut your mouth. I'm not doing what you're going to tell me. You're wrong. But given that this was the 60s, you had this wife that clearly didn't agree with the husband but was knew that the the societal expectation was the wife obeys the husband and she did and uh that that really stood out to me right away as as placing this movie in a certain time period um but to juxtapose that you have the main character here is a black actor and he takes charge and i was very pleasantly surprised to see that during the scenes in the movie where the people that are are holed up in the house are trying to figure out what to do, there's obviously some arguments and some upheaval and they're fighting with each other and they're yelling and screaming. At no point do any of the white characters make any sort of racial slurs against him. Do they – like it's, it's as if – and I believe this was the case, that the characters were written um, as as – being colorblind so none of the dialogue specifically calls out anyone's uh well not gender but anyone's race so you don't have like the white guy say things to the black character that are racially insensitive in order to get a rise out of them or in order to try and emphasize a point uh and i mean it's i I suspect that happened by accident just because of the way the script was written but it it definitely seemed progressive after seeing the scene just before it where there's this whole wife and husband dynamic going on um and, and reading a little bit about the movie afterwards, um, when they interviewed the director, he even said that, that it wasn't his tent, intent to sort of make a revolutionary movie in that sense or to you know, deliberately put this black actor as the lead to make a, make a statement. It just – this was the guy who was best for the part, so they cast him, and he did a great job. And uh, it, you know, from what I was reading, it said that he was one of the the. It, this is one of the first big movies. Well, I didn't call it a big movie. I mean, it was an independent movie, but it did very well. Um, that had a, a black man as the lead, and so from that point of view, it's it's yet another reason why this movie should and does stand up. I'm going to come back to that in a minute about Dwayne sure. Jones playing the lead. I'm going to stick a pin in that one. I want to go back. I want to address a bunch of things that you just said because you touched base on a couple of things. But before I do okay. that, uh, and we normally do mention this, but I do just want to make this perfectly clear. Lots of spoilers. Spoilers. Lots of spoilers to come here. So if you haven't seen this movie, you know, turn this off and come back and listen to it after you've had a chance to watch it because a lot of spoilers here. But I believe that there's so, a there's wait, a Chris, before you go. There, yep. So building on your spoilers. So um, I hadn't seen this movie before this week when you had suggested that I watch it. Yep. And so I went onto my streaming services. I went to Netflix. I went to Crave and I looked online and it wasn't available because it's so old. Why would it be? But. You were very helpful. You sent me a link. It's on YouTube. The entire movie was on YouTube. And so I was able to just straight up watch it right on the internet. Didn't cost me anything. So if anyone's looking to watch this movie and wants to watch it, hasn't seen it, maybe hasn't seen it in a long time, you don't have to pay anything. Go on to YouTube, type Night of Living Dead, a bunch of searches come up. No problem. And the movie was perfectly fine. It, it didn't it wasn't missing anything. It wasn't, you know, there were no edits made by uh, by off by, you know, homemade people wanting to splice stuff into it. It was it was exactly the release. So so okay, anyway. so yeah, before I get into, you know, my spoilers and before I get into breaking down the stuff that you said, I want to just touch base on that because you mentioned that you watched it on YouTube. And because funny enough, this movie is actually in the public domain. 
So the, the film was originally going to be called Night of the Flesh Eaters. But there was this little problem. There was a movie from 1964 called The Flesh Eaters. And the producers of that movie threatened to sue. So Romero and the producers, they said, okay, well, we got to change the name of this movie. So they changed it to Night of the Living Dead. But being a low-budget movie... And with Romero being a novice filmmaker, they didn't update the credits to include a copyright in either the opening or the closing credits. And as a result, the movie is in the public domain. So that's why it's on YouTube in its entirety, by the way. Just there as you an go. aside. Very cool. Um, so, yeah, no, I want to touch base on some uh, interesting things going on thematically in this movie that you mentioned on a build on them. So one of my favorite things about this movie is how you've got the protagonists trapped in a house with, you know, the undead rising from their graves to feast on the living, right? All that's going on. But the real conflict isn't between the protagonists and the undead. No, it's between the protagonists and themselves. Right. So it's a brilliant theme. And we've seen it used again and again and again in pop culture. If you think about it, you know, everyone is pitted against each other in this movie. You've got the blacks against whites. You've got men against women, children against their parents. There's even a like a hawk and a pacifist going on. Brilliant filmmaking as far as I'm concerned. And like I said, you've seen that theme over and over again. And I'll give you a current example of this. Just recently, I got caught up in all this online hype about the Netflix movie Bird Box. Everyone was talking about it, right? So I decided I got to see what all this fuss is about. So I start watching this movie. And there's a scene. Have you seen it, by the way, Caveman? No, I have not. Okay, so there's all this. I, I know what it's about. Yeah. I, I have no intention of watching it. It didn't appeal to me. Right. There's all this fuss. I'm like, I got to see what that's, this is all about. So I put it on. And there's a scene near the beginning. I'm not going to give anything away. But there's a scene near the beginning when all the people get locked up in John Malkovich's house. Right? And they all start fighting amongst themselves. Meanwhile, the real enemy's outside. And I thought, this is just like Night of the Living Dead. You know? So um, I think, so for me... Just kind of going back to what I said before, just thematically, it's easy to dismiss this movie as just like a zombie B-movie. But again, if you do that, you're missing out on something bigger. Again, go back to the time the movie's set. The entire film is is basically a metaphor for the country basically attacking and devouring itself. Like the zombies, if you think about it, the, the, the undead in this movie, they're just regular people. There's men, there's women, there's even children. They just look like normal people. And if you go back to the opening scene, it's in a graveyard with an American flag. And then when the dead appear, you've got, you know, all these characters saying, what's happening? What's happening? Like, to, to me, it's just inspired, inspired filmmaking. It's what it's all about. I would say that it's a countercultural movie based on all that. Because, you know, you've you basically got, like, the authority in this movie is undermined at every turn. Whether it's the police or the media or the father, you know, and... The smartest and most capable character, as you mentioned, is Jones's character. And the other thing is, too, there's no resolution. There's no happy ending. It's the exact opposite of your typical Hollywood movie. Yeah, I actually really like the ending. I, I've seen enough of these movies now that I sort of suspected how this original was going to play out. And for the most part, I was correct. There were a few things that maybe didn't go exactly as I had anticipated, but... I watched the movie with my wife. She's seen this before. Obviously, he's a super zombie fanatic woman. She had seen it before, and she's seen every zombie movie since then. And so she's not one to give away anything. She doesn't She doesn't like believe in spoilers. Like, we don't watch trailers for new movies because we don't want to be ruined by the, spo- by the trailers. Um, and so 
I would ask her like, oh, uh, I bet you this is going to happen next or, hey, does this happen next? And she just sort of said, you got to watch. You got to watch. I'm not going to say anything. But I think that uh, for a lot of the times I'd be like, oh, I'll bet you this happens. And then sure enough, 10 minutes later would happen. I'm like, oh, see, told you. And she's like, well, you've seen 50 zombie movies. Of course you knew that was going to happen. That's what always happens. But this was the first time it ever mm-hmm. happened. Uh, but I did find it interesting that they don't ever use the term zombie anywhere in the movie. Nope, they don't. They don't call them zombies. It's very much like The Walking Dead in that sense that the the Walking Dead franchise, they never use the term zombies. They call them walkers. They you know they got all sorts of fighters or something. Yeah, yeah, and and that's again one of the things that's been established as canon in that particular universe is prior to that event, prior to the zombie outbreak happening in the Walking Dead universe, the concept of a zombie or a zombie movie that is called you know capital Z zombie never existed that's just you know the way the authors had explained it and that's why nobody ever thinks to call them that and um the way that it's presented here they it's it's like this random occurrence it's something that is unexpected it's happened they suspect it might have been because of radioactivity from outer space and whatever else they they don't really confirm what the cause was although some some suggestions are presented on the news broadcast and so because it's new they don't actually have a definitive term for what they're going to call this stuff they again they, i think they call them ghouls at some point um and, and I, I think they refer to them as the dead but they don't actually call them zombies yeah i think they use ghouls a lot and it's interesting that you mentioned that that they don't use the word zombie in this movie because the film has basically inspired every zombie movie that's come out in the last you know half century yeah it's so amazing so a bit of controversy around this movie a couple things so one that you mentioned i'm going to come back to is is the fact that uh, there was a black actor in the lead dwayne jones playing right. ben and like you mentioned, it's not it was not common at the time for a black man to be in the lead of a movie, much less the hero, you know. And it's interesting because, as you touched on, Romero wasn't making a statement with that. He wasn't trying to be like cutting edge or liberal or anything like that. And as as we mentioned before in the podcast, as is sort of often the case with pop culture successes, things sometimes happen rather innocuously. And in this case... Um, when Romero was cast in the movie, Jones gave the best audition. That was it. It wasn't written as a, as a part for a black man. It, you know, it was actually, I think, originally written as a, he was supposed to be a really angry trucker. And, yeah, I read that too, yeah. And Dwayne Jones just, just read really, really well for it. So they, they hired him and he changed a lot of the, the, of the character, even changed some of the script to fit him. And the interesting thing is, though, is though even though Romero... You know, has, he's denied that he's ever, you know, was trying to make a political point by casting Jones in it. But that point is not lost on the audience. It certainly isn't lost on me and right. in, in the way it goes, and especially in regard to the ending, which we'll come to a minute in a minute. But another controversial thing in the movie was the gratuitous use of gore. And by today's standards, this movie's tame, you know? Yeah, it, it's almost by today's standards. It's almost like it's over the top to the point where you it's laughable like there's a few times where i almost did laugh at it just uh, you look at it with the the lens of how does the thing how does this look today in tv and in movies and it's so realistic the computer generation and the special effects are just so great today that you forget it wasn't always this realistic and 
back when you, in, you know in the 60s 70s even 80s when you're making these movies you use whatever you can use to get the point across i think i read somewhere that a common uh in black and white movies when they want to do blood they often use chocolate i think yep. even hitchcock did that in psycho yep. wasn't it chocolate sauce because yep. uh, it films well on camera it's and because in black and white yep. you don't see the color but right. you know what it's supposed to be based on the context and so i, I that's what i read with this was Romero had, had used chocolate sauce, and so when you see the actors eating stuff, a lot of it was covered in chocolate, which apparently didn't go with whatever the chocolate was on top of, and it made a lot of the actors really sick. <laughs> here's here's a hill I'm willing to die upon, okay? And it's just, you, you made an interesting point there, that today, you know, by today's standards and some of the CGI and the special effects we have today, it just looks so real, you know? I'm going to die on, I'm, here's a hill I want to die on. I would argue that this type of filmmaking looks more real than CGI today because it's visceral and it just there's something it this especially the way that this movie is shot it looks like it's shot on like old film stock they got from the army or something like that like but it just almost comes across as documentary in nature another one that that did that too was a couple years later when they came out with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in like 74 it was like almost documentary in 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 nature the way it's done it's just so gritty and realistic and so i am willing to die on the hill that these older films have more realism to them than anything that's done in cgi today uh that's just me um but like i say it it it, it is it is kind of tame you know from what we're used to seeing nowadays but you got to think again i just keep going back to this at the time that it came out it was considered almost to be like exploitative by some critics of the film, like like where the where the undead are like eating the the innards of the person or whatever and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny we talked about on a prior episode. I think we were talking about in the '90s about how independent films became all the rage. You know, during yes. that decade. But yes. for me, Night of the Living Dead is low budget independent filmmaking at its absolute best. Yeah, I'll give you that for sure. Last thing I want to talk about in terms of this film is and 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 rightly so the ending because you touch base on it yeah because this is one one film where the first time that i saw it i honestly felt like i was punched in the gut the ending where the police are sweeping through the fields with rifles picking off the random zombies and you got jones's characters basically the only human that's left in the house and of course what happens the police see him upstairs in the, in the window and they shoot him right in the head and, and and I know, again, Romero didn't cast Jones as a political statement, but the fact that he's a black actor in that role at that moment, in that scene, you can't tell me that that didn't have an extra impact on an audience, especially then. Like, it feels like you go through this whole journey with this character, and at the end, you're left with, what, the police shooting an innocent black man? Like, intentional or not, that ending packs a massive punch. Like, it's unbelievably impactful, and I think it still stands up today 50 years later, and maybe it's just as important now as it ever was. Yeah, I agree. Like, just, just oh, this film is so good. And, uh, you know, and going back and watching it again after all these years made me realize just how incredible of a film it is. It's not an easy film to watch, but again, I'm going back to my original point. I think if you're a true film buff, I think it's a film that you can't afford to ignore. Yeah, no, I agree. I think uh, from the point of view of of film archive, from the point of view of reminding people where things started, both as a horror movie, as a zombie movie, as an independent movie, as just a a movie in general, a film, uh, it certainly has its 
place in history and deservedly so. And from that point of view, I agree. Uh, from an entertainment point of view, as someone who watches modern zombie movies, I, I certainly wouldn't recommend it to, say, a teenager right now who is a big zombie fan. If someone says, oh, I love The Walking Dead. It's my favorite show and I've seen all these zombie movies. What do you recommend? I would probably not recommend this movie. I'm curious right why, away. why not? Why not? Out of curiosity, I, I think that it would be because they, they you think they would just look at it. Go, oh, it's black and white. Oh, it's cheap. It's crappy. I think it would be a combination of it's slow, it's uh, it's old, it's um, yeah, it's and then if you're looking at it from today's perspective, it just looks cheap and low budget. And so much of what's in this movie has been done and redone in newer movies and in many cases not nearly as successfully that you're going to miss the point or you're not going to get the full impact that the original viewers would have received having never seen anything like this before. Uh, I think that a lot of today's younger audience, um, if they watch this movie, would be like, meh, whatever. Or like me, they'd watch the first 15 minutes and go like, oh my god, this is slow, this is boring, the music is driving me crazy, I'm done, I'm out. And had, had, had I not been watching this with the specific intent of being able to discuss the whole movie, I probably would have watched it in two viewings, and it would have been really difficult for me to go back to that second half. But I sat through it the first time, and I'm glad I, find, I'm glad I did. But uh, yeah, I, I've seen it once. I'm glad you made me watch it. I don't think I ever need to see it again, and I think I would be very hesitant to recommend it to too many people who are not big film buffs. Yeah, I understand. I get it. It's funny. It's another example for me, too, of an ex- in pop culture. Sometimes we see things where somebody comes out, an artist, whether it's whether it's you know a, a musician or a director that comes out with their initial project that is just so impactful, and the rest of their career is kind of like an anticlimactic experience for them you know like we've seen a modern sort of day version of that i would argue is m night Shyamalan. uh you know came out with that first big movie and everything else was kind of okay but nothing major and we saw it here i think with romero like he came out with this movie and then he he did a two sequels dawn of the dead and day of the dead and they were just both not the same you know they, they weren't awful but i mean they weren't the same they, they did a remake of this in 1990 um, Tom Zavini, of all people. I met Tom Zavini once. Uh, great, you know, he was an interesting guy, and I, I was very lucky to be able to meet him and talk to him. Um, and he, he's a makeup artist. I don't know if you know Tom Zavini. Do you know the film that came out in around 93, 94, um, called, uh, oh, it was Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. Uh, oh, the, Dust Till from Dawn. Dust Till Dawn. From Dust Till Dawn. He was in it. He played Sex Machine, the guy that had, you remember, the machine gun on his crotch? Um that's Tom Savini. He's a makeup artist, and uh, he he directed a remake of this in 1990, and it just wasn't the same. It just uh, wasn't that. It's it, it just an example of Romero just kind of came out of the gate with this, blew people away, and you know his career was just always kind of riding on the coattails. As much as I like Creepshow, you know, which he was part of, it just never kind of you know he never really kind of got back to the level that he did with this movie. But uh, but again, I, I think like, as far as film go, and the first time that I saw this this film actually was was in university in, in, a, in, in a film course. 
that I was taking. And uh, the prof suggested that we watch it. And I thought, well, what's, uh, we're watching this horror movie. What? And I watched, and I was just mesmerized by it. I just, because again, I'm such a, I'm such a film buff that I just love all the aspects that I've laid out so far tonight. I just, I don't know. There's just something about this movie to me. It's very, very special. And it's very seminal in terms of, not the actors, they never went on to do anything, but in terms of it's influential. You know, I should say not seminal, but it's it's it's, just, it's so influential on everything that's come forward. Whether it's like I mentioned, Bird Box or every zombie movie to follow, but it is just oh, man, it is an impactful movie. And like I say, the end of the movie just punches me in the gut. Especially the first time I saw it, I was just I was shocked. I was just shocked, like literally shocked. That and I was like, that's not the end. And then no, this is wrong. And then they show them like hooking the body and throwing it on a pile, and and it goes to still photos. Yeah, of the and I was just. I was like, wow, what did I just watch? You know, and it just kind of really led into that kind of filmmaking that we saw shortly after with stuff like Easy Rider and stuff like that, where there was the studio system was 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 moving away and, and, and sort of the deification of the director was taking place. And and these kind of movies with downer endings, you know, became all the rage after Easy Rider, but this movie started it all as far as I'm concerned. So not only did it influence zombie films, it influenced kind of those those kind of downer ending films that we kind of saw in the seventies, you know, rightly or wrongly, it's this movie belongs, you know, in the, in the pantheon of film, as far as I'm concerned, that's me. Uh, anyway, on that note, how about we say we have some fun with caveman. So caveman, I'm going to turn things over to you. You wanted to do something this week. So what have you got up your sleeve to have some fun? All right. I think, uh, it's time for us to, Go back to the $100,000 pyramid. I love the $100,000 pyramid. You know I love game shows, so this is oh, great. Normally, shows. anytime we've done this in the past, I've been the game show host. Are you saying that you're going to be, because I have nothing prepared, so you're going to be the host of the game show for me. Yes, I am, Chris. Today on the $100,000 Pyramid, you could win bragging rights. Nice. I like bragging rights. and They, they go far around here, that's for sure. So uh, I'm going to take my seat in the winner's circle. Is that correct? And we're going to play around? Yes. yes. So uh, keeping on the theme of horror movies, okay. the, the topic of today's pyramid mm-hmm. is movie monsters. Movie monsters. Movie okay. monsters. Movie, we'll say movie monsters slash movie villains. Okay. So, I'm going to, for each one, I'm going to read you a list of actors and actresses who have played that role in various iterations. And I just want you to tell me the name of the role that they've played. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to be very generous because in some cases the name is a little different, but it's very similar. So I'm, I'm going to give you a wide latitude here. But in each one, the answer is. The name of a movie monster, movie villain, something along that line. So, okay? so you're going to give me a list of actors that have all played the same yes. movie monster, and I've got to yes. name the monster. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm ready when the, you are. The, the clues will get a little harder as we go up the pyramid because they're worth a little bit more right. bragging rights. Sounds good. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Go. Tyler Lautner. Michael Sheen. Benicio Del Toro, Jack Nicholson, Michael Landon. Oh, werewolf, werewolf. Bingo, werewolf, good. Yes. All right. Jack Nicholson, 
Jared Leto. Mark Hamill. Oh, uh, J- Joker. Joker. The Joker. Pleasure. Yes. Joker. Nice. All right. Eddie Murphy. Leslie Nielsen. Tom Cruise. Vampire. Vampires. Yes. Yes. Aaron Eckhart. Robert De Niro. Christopher Lee. Peter Boyle. Van Helsing? Bella Lugosi. Dracula? Boris Karloff. Okay, pass. Ah, yeah, pass. Bill Cosby. Dave. The, de- the Devil? Yes. Yes. Burgess Meredith. Uh, the Penguin? Sean Connery. Chris Kirsten Chenworth. Rachel Weiss. Eddie Murphy. Benedict Cumberbatch. Okay, we're going to pass. We're going to go back. Pluto Nash? (laughs) (laughs) You wish. All right. uh, We're going to go back to this one again. Aaron Eckhart. Okay. Robert De Niro. Mm -hmm. Christopher Lee. Peter Boyle. Boyle. Robert De Niro. Peter Boyle. Jake LaMotta? No. (laughs) (laughs) Boris Karloff. Okay, pass. We're going to go back to seven. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know who it would be. Burgess Meredith. Burgess Meredith. It wasn't the Penguin. It was... uh... Benedict Cumberbatch. Sean Connery. (laughs) Okay, Chris, we're out of time. Oh, man. I I have no idea who those (laughs) are. The last one was tough. I I was was on the fence about that one. Okay, so the one you missed, Aaron Eckhart, Robert De Niro, Peter Boyle. Peter Boyle, if I was to say putting on the Ritz... Oh, it was Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein's oh, monster. There you go. Yes. Oh, why did I not think of that? I love that movie. <laughs> All right. The last one was pretty tough. Yeah, it was like, it was Burgess nope. Meredith. I, the only thing I could think of was the penguin. In every instance of that, and this one was sort of a trick, sort of not a trick, not intended to be a trick. These were all voice actors that did voice work of a dragon. Oh, you know, I thought of a dragon for Sean Connery, and I thought, no, he was a good dragon, though. Benedict Cumberbatch, all dragons. Man, that was tough. Oh, man. You got, uh, let's see, we got 50, 100, 150, and uh, 250, so we're what, two, two, uh, anyway. You got a bunch of bragging rights. I got about about 600 bucks, so you can send me a check in the mail. $600 uh, of friend credit. Okay. Yeah. I will make sure and uh, cash that check when I come down and play a game of Escape from the Death Star, which we've got to still got our way at some point soon. I'm so looking forward to that. I don't get out much, obviously. So, no, no, I think that was great. So, obviously, we we took a look at an interesting uh, older uh, horror film tonight. Got a chance to play a game. It's a little bit harder sitting on this side of the uh, winner's circle. That is for sure. I'm usually on the other side. And uh, you realize when you get put on the hot seat, it's pretty tough. I tell you, a couple of them pretty quick though. I yeah, was, uh, and the ones like uh, with Werewolf, I was like, my last one was Michael J. Fox, which I figured for Teen oh, Wolf, you yeah. and oh. for vampires, like the end of the list was like Kiefer Sutherland, Max Shrek, Gary Oldman. I'm like, I there knew was, you would have. Yeah, got. there was one I got right off the bat. You mentioned that one, Eddie Murphy, Leslie Nielsen, and then Tom Cruise. I didn't even get to Wesley Snipes. Chris Sarandon, like I had a whole list of for vampire, and the devil was the same one. Bill Cosby. Oh, Bill Dave Cosby, Cole. because because you said Bill Cosby, I thought he does does comedy, and then I just thought, oh wait a minute, he was in a uh, you know the Devil and Max Devlin or something like that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think I know this one. So yeah, go figure. Nice. That was all good. Okay, oh, no, so really well. 
Yeah. Okay. So uh, moving on uh, to, uh, as we segue into next episode, it is time for you now to nominate a film. So uh, what have you got in the hopper that you would like me to watch? All right, Chris, I want you to watch a movie from last year, 2018. Oh, you know, I'm not good with this stuff. It's directed by Steven Spielberg. You ever heard of him? Uh, yeah, I have. <laughs> Made a few movies that I know you've enjoyed over your uh, over your time. Uh, so anyway, the movie he put out last year was called Ready Player One. Oh, is, okay, I've heard this is actually a good one. This is because is I've heard full, of it. Full of '80s nostalgia, which I know is going to be right up your alley. So I think you're really going to enjoy this one. It's based on a book by Ernest Klein of the same name, Ready Player One, from 2011. The book is outstandingly good one of my all-time favorite reads um but if you can watch the movie it runs a little over two hours uh it is uh it's a steven spielberg right like it's 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 fun it's there's adventure and there's uh fantastic special effects work and a ton of 80s pop culture the whole movie centers around 80s pop culture even though it's sort of a futuristic sci-fi movie i think you're really going to enjoy it i hope you're really going to enjoy it you got a week give it a viewing and uh, we'll come back next time you can tell me what you think i think that's gonna be that's actually a pretty good film for you to nominate for the show because it's it's a new one and obviously so I have never seen it and also the fact that it, it kind of ties into Gen X so this should be an interesting take so it's it's a, it's a current film but based in in my favorite generation so that this should be interesting I'm, be, I'm, I'm curious to look at this movie and take a look at it and I'll right. come back and well, do that we'll come back next week and uh, you can you can tell me what you thought I will absolutely do that in the meantime if you would like to reach Derek you can do so on Twitter at Amaron underscore dm or you can reach me at c mcbrien just remember mcbrien is i-e-n you can always head over to popcultureworld.com and uh, find all of our contact information there shoot us an email and if you do download and listen to the show on itunes please just take a minute and leave a review for the show we'd obviously really appreciate that but uh, in the meantime on behalf of Derek myers this is chris mcbrien saying thanks for listening to pop goes your world the pop culture podcast for the generations Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Yeah.